This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As part two of our three-part series on electronic voting, we're going to speak in our second segment today with blogger Brad Friedman. Brad has been covering this issue for some time uh, on bradblog.com, and uh, we're glad to have him back on the show. We mentioned on last week's program that we expect to bring you Secretary of State Deborah Bowen, and we still do, but unfortunately we're not able to get the Secretary on this week, and we're going to have to put it off. We did note that in the Sacramento Bee, Daniel Weintraub certainly covered uh, this story a lot better than Dan Walters did. Mr. Weintraub notes that the biggest potential impact of Deborah Bowen's uh, decision to decertify the use of most touchscreen voting systems in California uh, is going to have a big impact on uh, the 21 counties that use touchscreen consoles marketed by two companies, Diebold and Sequoia Voting Systems. Well, yeah, that's true. But these systems shouldn't have been certified as they were by Bruce McPherson in the first place. The Secretary of State has done the right thing, and we look forward to bringing her to this program next week. But I just have to take a minute to... to to quote what the kind of stuff they're feeding people like Dan Weintraub, Stephen Weir, the registrar clerk in Contra Costa County, described as president of the Registrar's Statewide Association, said this thing's a big deal, a very big deal. Noting he expects some voters who have never used the optical scan paper ballots to struggle with them, causing long lines at the polls. And in counties that can't acquire a system that scans each voter's ballot at the polling place, warns of potential errors. Some voters inevitably disqualify their ballot by accidentally filling in bubbles for more than one candidate in a given race. Well, yeah, that, that may be true, but it seems like a small price to pay for an insecure voting machine. Weir said, you'll have an increase in the overvote. In a close race, like in Florida in 2000, that can make a difference. Yes, and, and so could someone using a, a, a memory card to go in and alter the vote count. Ask yourself this, how is it that the nation of Canada, <laughs> the nation that shares the North American continent with us, is able to conduct an election using paper ballots every few years, and they do just fine? Maybe they don't allow their uh, county registrars of voters to be uh, sold a bill of goods by voting machine companies. I don't know, that's just speculation on my part. All right, let's do On This Date in History, which in our case today is August 16th. August 16, 1898, American inventor Edwin Prescott patents the roller coaster. August 16, 1923, Carnegie Steel establishes the eight-hour day for its workers instead of the previous 12-hour shift. And on April 16, 1977, the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, dies at age 42 in Memphis, Tennessee. And we do want to note that 60 years ago yesterday, on August 15th, 1947, India and Pakistan were born. Or perhaps more properly, as things have evolved, India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh were all born. Indian independence was achieved after 163 years of British rule by dividing the territory into three separate entities. And to talk about this, we're going to air an interview we conducted several years back with former California State University professor of sociology, Sherrod Malalu, who was an eyewitness to some of this. 
we probably do a, a whole show on on uh, on August fifteenth, nineteen forty seven, and actually we did a substantial part of two shows a few years back on this, and it's certainly worth taking a look at again. Our quote of the day comes from James Thurber, who once said, "It's better to know some of the questions than all of the answers." Our quip of the day comes from playwright Wilson Misner, who once said, A fellow who's always declaring he's no fool usually has his suspicions. Our joke of the day is as follows. An old geezer walks into a Baptist church, says the secretary, I'd like to join this goddamn church. Woman says, I beg your pardon. I must have misunderstood you. Now listen up, damn it. I want to join your goddamn church. I'm sorry, sir. That kind of language is not used in our church. The secretary goes to the pastor's study to tell him what's going on. They return. The pastor asks, Sir, what seems to be the problem? No damn problem at all, he says. I just won $27 million in the lottery, and I want to join some goddamn church to unload part of it. I see, said the pastor. And was this bitch giving you a hard time? Yes, yes, we, we can say that on the air. And no, we didn't write the joke. We just chose to repeat it. All right, our statistic of the day comes from the Wellness Newsletter. From actually, this is actually about a five-year-old statistic, but I think it still holds. About 1% of Americans account for 30% of all health expenditures. Half of these people are 65 or older. Moreover, 50% of Americans account for 97% of all health expenditures. Actually, we have several statistics here that I think we probably need to run past you. Some, some pretty, uh, pretty curious ones. How about this? According to Patricia Lee Renfro of the American Bar Association, nationally, only 46% of people summoned for jury duty actually show up, and most of them try to get out of serving. Not terribly surprising, Ashley, since they pay you, what, $5 a day for your service? Probably not a bad wage if it was still 1906. This one gives me the creeps. According to the New York Times, 47% of dogs in the U.S. sleep in a family member's bed. Yes, this brings back bad memories of medical school for this correspondent. My then-girlfriend in her otherwise immaculate uh, San Clemente apartment used to let the dogs sleep in the bed. And yes, it is as gross as it sounds. Yeah, and I know when I'm in saying that, 47% of you out there disagree, but uh, you're nuts. All right, another statistic. According to the Associated Press, of the more than 2 million refugees who have fled Iraq since the U.S. invasion, 1.5 million have relocated to Syria, while 750,000 are in Jordan. The U.S., citing security concerns, has taken only 133. But it did announce that by the end of September, it would be willing to take in 7,000 more. And finally, according to Bloomberg.com, 61 American colleges, among them Trinity, Lafayette, and Holy Cross, are refusing to participate in the next annual U.S. News and World Report survey of America's top colleges. They complain it's arbitrary and inaccurate. Which, of course, is completely true. It was noted that none of the 25 schools that topped the list had joined the protest. 
The thing is, too, a lot of these colleges get really excellent rankings because of their their fine graduate schools, which says you know very little necessarily about uh, what you know the undergraduate student can learn. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, according to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for The Invisible Hand. After a transcendental meditation group based in Iowa vowed to raise the Dow Jones Industrial Average to 17,000 by sheer force of their focused mental energy. Said Bob Roth of the Invincible America Assembly, we're not trying to convince anyone of anything. We're just doing it. Well, in the wake of the plunging stock market uh, prices, I would say, well, maybe not. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for airport security this week after a passenger smuggled a marmoset monkey onto a flight from Fort Lauderdale to New York by hiding it under his hat. Reported the magazine, the fist-sized forest-dwelling creature emerged mid-flight and spent the rest of the trip sitting calmly in a seat. And uh, last week was clearly an ugly week for prisoners' rights after an inmate at a Florida jail was sentenced to an additional 60 days for masturbating in his cell. Terry Alexander was serving 10 years for armed robbery and was alone in his bunk when a female guard watching via security cameras witnessed the act and had Alexander charged with indecent exposure. Spokesman for the sheriff's office, Elliot Cohn, explained that privacy is one of the rights that inmates forfeit. That's why there are no doors in the bathroom, said Cohn. That's what jail is. Seems just that logically you could, you could nail anyone using the toilet for indecent exposure if you wanted to adopt a zero-tolerance policy. And as a bonus item, we would note that last week it was a something week for station identification after the Federal Communications Commission evidently issued the call letters of K-U-N-T to a new Hawaiian TV station. The station's owner has already filed a request to have the call letters changed. And we will definitely have no further comments to make about that item. All right, we would note that allegedly this week, Karl Rowe is leaving the White House. And perhaps he will lose his office in, uh, in the White House, but, uh, but as Rowe uh, supposedly told Dave Montgomery and Marissa Taylor of the McClatchy newspapers, uh, he expects to continue to have an advisory role with Bush. Bush reportedly told him, I know your phone number, you'd better know mine. You know, the headline we really liked was in, uh, in The Independent over in the U.K., which was, Bush loses brain. Rove apparently also told uh, the McClatchy people, uh, they're going to keep coming after me. They got a bunch of guys auditioning for the role of Captain Ahab, and I'm Moby Dick. If only that were true. Well, we, we hope that's true. But, uh, Mr. McMillan, we have to, of course, uh, have the appropriate accompanying music to this. I could while away the hours, confirm with the flowers, consult with the rain. 
in my head I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching If I only had a brain I'd unravel every riddle For any individual in trouble or in pain of course, to, at least as regards uh, Karl Rove, uh, people like Patrick Leahy are saying that there's a cloud over this White House and a gathering storm. A similar cloud envelops Mr. Rove even as he leaves the White House. Congressional Democrats are vowing to press ahead with their investigations into the White House's role in the firing of nine U.S. attorneys last year. Of course, the Democrats are not exactly deserving of a huge round of applause at this point. Noted Jeff Seleni and Mark Santor in the New York Times, even as they call for an end of the war and pledge to bring the troops home, the Democratic presidential candidates are setting out positions that could leave the United States engaged in Iraq for years. Said John Edwards, we've got to be prepared to control the civil war if it starts to spill outside the borders of Iraq. Edwards was noted as running hard against the war. Yet yeah, too bad he voted to authorize it. Of course, so did Hillary Clinton who says she would leave a residual force to fight terrorism and to stabilize the Kurdish region. Yeah, I love the headline that was in the B on this story. Dems, Iraq exit tricky. Of course, it's much worse than the Republican side where the candidates are, are choosing not to wrestle publicly with Iraq policy questions, instead deferring to President Bush and waiting till General David Petraeus delivers a progress report next month. Let's go back to the Democrats a minute. Uh, they're, they're getting criticized deservedly for the fact that they just rolled over on the warrantless wiretap issue. Wrote the Washington Post in, a, in an editorial, put up the white flag. In a shameful act of political cowardice, congressional Democrats last week granted President Bush's demand for authority to spy on phone calls and emails coming in and out of the U.S. without a court order or supervision. Fearful of being branded terrorist sympathizers, Democrats in both the House and Senate caved in and passed a law that authorizes Bush to freely monitor any communications from outside the U.S. that involves, quote, foreign intelligence, unquote, even if American citizens are one end of the call or message. And, of course, who's going to oversee this expansion of presidential power? Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez. And while we're talking about it, a couple weeks back, the House of Representatives passed a giant $286 billion package of farm subsidies. Although it's been noted that critics from both parties question the need for any agricultural subsidies at all when crop prices are higher than ever and agribusiness is booming. But in the end, the bill passed on a mostly party-line vote after a strong push by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi, incidentally, is a longtime opponent of the farm subsidy system, but with nine Democratic freshman representatives from farm states facing tough re-election battles, a reduction in subsidies under a Democratic Congress would threaten the party's control of the House. This caused the Sacramento Bee to note that Nancy Pelosi may have saved her majority, but at a huge cost to her credibility. Yeah, the Democrats are not uh, showing a lot of resolve here to change the way business is done, are they? Yeah, it's sad, believe me, missy, when you're born to be a sissy without the feminine five. But I could show my prowess, be a lion, not a mouse, if I only had the nerve. Yeah, we couldn't resist the, the opportunity to play both those great songs from The Wizard of Oz, and we should note, by the way, and could have in the, earlier in the program, that... Uh, 68 years ago yesterday, that would be August 15, 1939, The Wizard of Oz had its premiere at Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood. Better movies have been made, but not very many. 
You know, it is funny, too. We have to sound off on the issue of Rupert Murdoch buying the uh, Wall Street Journal. You know, when it comes to the editorial pages of the journal, I, I, I think Murdoch may move it to the left. Here's what they had to say about the, the Democrats caving in on the uh, warrantless wiretap. Democrats so low the Bush administration that they would have preferred to side with al-Qaeda on this one. So let's at least be grateful that political self-interest prevailed over their usual instincts. Yeah, how's that compared to Fox News' fair and balanced? People seem to be concerned about the fact that the reporting on the Wall Street Journal might go to hell. Wrote Jack Schaefer in Slate.com, The Journal's readers value it for its sophisticated, objective reporting. Murdoch, conversely, has a history of using his news outlets to further his business interests and conservative political agenda. It's only a matter of time before he succumbs to the temptation to start telling the Journal's editors what to do. So if I read this correctly, the concern is not that the editorial pages will stop spouting nonsense that uh, they've been spouting. It's that the actual news reporting will start becoming inaccurate. Writing in the Washington Post, David Ignatius said the journal is already not what it used to be. Wrote Ignatius, for those of us who worked at the newspaper in its golden age of the mid-80s, the past decade's been like watching a car wreck in slow motion. The coverage of the business world is still first-rate. But the Wall Street Journal used to be about much more than business. The paper covered everything from politics to foreign wars to crime with unmatched vigor and intelligence. And the front page sparkled with superbly written stories about lady weightlifters, massage parlor receptionists, and professional disco dancers. But all that quirkiness, panache, and ambition is gone, replaced by thumpingly ordinary business news and the eternal right-wing shrieking of the editorial page. Having said all that, let's give an example of where we agree with the editorial pages of the Wall Street Journal. After Barack Obama said that he thought we may need to pursue operations against Osama bin Laden into Pakistan, the journal said, finally, some welcome realism. They noted it was coming from an an extremely unlikely source, anti-war Democratic presidential candidate Barack Obama. Obama, of course, uh, had said that he was prepared to order U.S. airstrikes and commando operations against bin Laden and the al-Qaeda terrorists who have found refuge inside the territory of our unreliable ally, Pakistan. Yes, uh, it, it is sad that while we're having bridges collapse in Minnesota and people are saying, where are we going to find the billion dollars to replace our infrastructure? The answer seems to be, well, we're spending it over in Iraq. Meanwhile, the people who attacked us on September 11th are hiding out in the border area between Pakistan and Afghanistan. And after paying lip service to hunting down bin Laden, uh, Pervez Musharraf admitted last week that if the U.S. were to kill the most wanted man in the world within Pakistani territory, it would enrage the Pakistani people and badly damage relations between the two countries. Describing all this, Ruben Navarrete in the San Diego Union-Tribune said... uh, Pakistan is our ally in the war on terror. Noting that suddenly Barack Obama seems to be the least naive person in the presidential race. We need to take a break in a moment, after which we'll come back and speak with Brad Friedman about uh, voting machines in California, along with uh, our talk with Sherrod Malalu about the uh, Indian-Pakistani Independence Day 60 years back. But I want to go out on a happier note here. So let's do this item from the miscellaneous file. A company is open in San Francisco called Flex Pets. It's for people who like dogs but can't be bothered with caring for them full-time. For $39.95 a day, the company rents you a canine companion. 
Customers are either looking to see what owning a dog would be like or just wanting to enjoy a pet without making a commitment. Among the satisfied customers is Sherry Gonzalez, who spends one day a week with a black Labrador named Jackpot. Said Gonzalez, I never even thought that was a possibility. I thought you either owned a dog or you didn't. Reportedly, Flex Pets plans to open outlets in Manhattan and London. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Let's take a short break. We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. Why can't you see what you do? 